Hi, and welcome to the third episode of Game Loop. I'm Joe. And I'm Dan. This is a podcast about making games by friends who sometimes finish what they set out to do. We chat about programming, game design, we break down the games we're playing and building. Hey Dan, what's up? Hey, hey Joe. <laughs> I thought you were just going to leave me hanging there. <laughs> <laughs> With the hey. Right, it's got to be a question as well. Yeah. It's, like, hey. <laughs> it's like someone when someone passes you in the street and they like, alright? And you respond with the same and like no one's answered each other's question. <laughs> I, I see, I always thought that was a very northern thing. I didn't realise that was universal. I'm pretty sure it's universal. Like in, in London, I think that's what people do as well. Although yeah. I've only lived here for about... I know, definitely in Wales, that's the thing. Mm. But it, it seems to be a thing in London too. Uh, Not as much we, though, because when you, you don't really pass people in the street here. <laughs> you, you, pass, you pass thousands of people in the street and no one looks at each other. So yeah. <laughs> I, I remember hearing a great story about someone on the tube and a little kid shouted out if you're happy and you know it clap your hands and the whole <laughs> tube of adults no one clapped <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> sums up city living yeah sums up but that's yeah that'd be so weird if everyone clapped though I, yeah I, if I like you think oh yeah people are awful but if I was on that tube I wouldn't clap how many do that <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> tangent aside, um, you had an idea yesterday, and that was to have a look at Puzzle Script. That little mm. script, like, it's a puzzle which I would describe, having only looked at it yesterday, as a puzzle-making game engine with really, really simple, I'm going to say programming language, but it's not even that. It's just a rule set that you can write yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's like, it's from the same sort of world as NetLogo, I guess, in that mm. it's it's a fairly simple syntactically programming language with really hard constraints that allow you to declare everything you want. There's no imperative programming, really. It's just about, here's what this looks like. Here's the rule with what you can do with this. Yeah. Um, and we'd been playing enough puzzle games recently that we thought we'd talk about puzzles and i thought before we before we launch into any puzzle discussion i should send joe puzzle script so he can take a look at a language that's purpose-built for making puzzles <laughs> uh, so it sounds like you had fun with it well, i had, I I had fun, fun with it right, fun <laughs> is the right word okay i was i was uh i was trying to play with it and then i was playing with it and then i was i decided that what i wanted to do because you have like a player object you can control. And what I wanted to do was like set set it so that you could, if you play, press in the right arrow towards, and the, and the player was on the same row as another thing, instead of walking towards that thing, you just teleport up to it. And it took me hmm. friggin' like, I don't know, 20 <laughs> minutes to figure out just how to do that. And I was tearing my hair out. I was like, is this impossible with a scripting <laughs> language to do this? This is stupid. I hate it. And then and then I felt like an idiot when it was really simple. Like, eventually, I just worked it out. I was like, oh, okay. Um, I, <laughs> did, you, have you made, did you make anything with it? Have you ever made anything with it? No. I, I have played <laughs> with the examples and then I've been yeah. like, oh, let me sit down and make something. And then I've just never gotten that far before I lost interest or yeah. discovered that the idea wasn't as good as I thought it was. <laughs> I think there's some, some of the examples that have been made are really cool. There's, mm. there's a, an example called Kettle where you have four police lines. 
surrounding like i guess protesters or something or people that you have to push into a grid that are in different configurations and you have to push them into a perfect grid and by pressing the up down left or right arrows you either move the side side rows or you move the top rows okay. and you can't and none of the police lines can move backwards they can only move forwards mm-hmm. so it makes this really interesting situation where you have to move the police lines you have to move each row of the police line in a specific order in order to get all of the people into the grid squares yeah and i thought that was really cool and i was like that's 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 great puzzle design but yeah i i just thought like i just did not want to sit down like i thought of plenty of things i could make that i had absolutely no inclination to sit down and make <laughs> with that tool i was like oh god it's gonna, it's gonna take me forever and it's gonna be an absolute mess it's gonna look awful i think i think it, you need a little bit of like maybe maybe again like i've lost the naivety and the playfulness that I had coming into programming. So that when I go to a tool like that, I just see the the horrible uh, marshland ahead of, of lines and lines of code that mean absolutely nothing because they're completely non-descriptive. <laughs> and they, maybe I just need to sit and just play with it a bit more. I don't know. I think, I think it's the... Yeah, because it's like it's such a different programming style, again, to most programming languages, okay. you, you just have to do the mindset switch, like for... Net logo or prologue or anything that's gonna like s- swap the way your mind thinks about programming with a different mm. model. Um, yeah, you can see quite clearly that like the whole engine is sort of comes from Sokoban. I- I'm not even yeah. sure that it necessarily does, but it has very much that feel that they looked at the Sokoban rule set and they said, "What's the minimal amount of code you would need to express this in a sane-ish way?" Yeah, and then they built a language around that. And then just tacked other stuff on, uh, and ended up with something that can express kind of interesting rules quite succinctly. Um, but yeah, fun. That yeah, that is. It felt very much like Puzzle Script is a language designed to make Suckerban. Yeah. Um, Suckerban <laughs> variants. Yeah, which 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 is cool. I think if especially if you don't know how to program, I can, I can imagine that you'd mm. be able to pick that up quite nicely. I was surprised actually how much it reminded me of like Erlang and Elixir's um, pattern matching rules. Yeah. yeah. You, you basically have a shape of, some, of something that's good. That, that of, you have a shape of some data and then given some shape, you, know, you, you, you turn this shape into that shape. I mean, not exactly like Erlang, but you, you, know, you match on a certain shape of a rule. Yeah. And it's almost like the the what you what you are typing into the text editor almost looks like the thing that you're doing into the in the game which which mm-hmm. what makes it what makes it quite nice yeah um, it's nice to have yeah. like they have the syntax in there already for defining sprites yeah. and colors and levels all in the programming language so that you're not yeah. doing secondary steps for any of those things yeah um, we should uh cover at this point what soccer van is it's like a puzzle game where you <laughs> yes. are a person yeah you, you you are a player and then you're on a grid and you are moving around a grid into different objects and some objects you can move around and some objects you can't move around and the idea is you using your player to get to push these little boxes into the right configuration mm-hmm. to win the game and that's like soccer van i guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it's usually only four um directions of movement uh, mm-hmm. So you're quite constrained by if you push a box into a corner, it becomes then impossible to move it again because you can't get into the corner to push it out of the corner. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm. Um, so that's what that's what soccer ban yeah. is. 
I don't think I've ever like seen or played Sokban anywhere other than in NetHack. Uh because there's a Sokoban level at some depth in NetHack where you push boulders around. Uh, and I know Sokoban from NetHack, but I don't know Sokoban from anywhere else. Like is there a is there a digital a... game called Sokoban that people play or or so... like where did it originate from? And I remember playing well something like this really like the soccer band rule set, and I was thinking it could be quite easily done in puzzle script. Is did you ever play? Did you ever play in the Pokemon games? A um, little bit, not really. So but there's there's parts of Pokemon games where you're whether you're either you're either in gyms or caves where there's ice on the floor, and you have to go. You have to basically as soon as you go on the ice, you move in the direction that you were moving before you hit the ice until you hit something. So that's either a rock or a piece of dry land, hmm. and you and the idea is to to move from one part of the level to another. But there's this big sheet of ice with some stones on. You have to work your way across it. I thought that's very Sokoban esque. Yeah. And the other thing that I've seen that's like Sokoban is I'm following Jonathan Blow's programming language development, Jai. I think, I don't hmm. know if he calls it that, but that's what it seems to be called. And he's making a game with it, with it that he's calling Sokoban. Um, and it looks pretty cool um, in that it's just, it's that very simple rule set. There's a grid with a character or a few characters that can move up, down, left and right. But there are different things in the level like mirrors and lasers and other things that like distort the puzzle. Um, hmm. that's but that's, one. Yeah, that's the, the first time I've seen the word Sokoban, actually. <laughs> now I know what it is. <laughs> well, it looks like there was a Sokoban, like a whole series of Sokoban games uh, made by a Japanese developer in the 80s and early 90s. Um, and Sokoban right. literally translates to warehouse keeper. It's a guy <laughs> pushing crates and boxes around in a warehouse. I had no idea. There you go. There's your Sokoban trivia for today. Uh, that, that's, that is a, that's a cool idea for a game, though. Something to do. I'm always inspired by um, jobs that become games like like papers please mm. um that that idea you're just you're just stamping people's stamping people's passports and it's this dreary weird job but it but lucas pope the developer managed to make such an interesting game out of it um so when, whenever i see some kind of simple job where you're just doing it seems like you're just doing one thing i'm always inspired to think about it a little bit more into like how, how could this could, could a game be made about this mm. <laughs> um, i think there's an art to like Turning the ordinary and the mundane into interesting games. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess moving on. What have you been? What have you been doing this week? Um, I have sort of been doing a little bit of recovery programming. Um, uh, as we we didn't <laughs> we didn't achieve anything major over the weekend in. Uh, <laughs> no, Ludum Dare, apart from spending oh. a lot of time fiddling with different engines and yeah, basically coming up with ideas. Um, but I decided that I would just try and play with a few of things that we had looked at that weekend to see if any mm-hmm. of them felt worth investing significant time into. So I've been playing with Pixie and Phaser yeah. a little bit this week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and playing a lot of Slay the Spire and Mordhau. Um, nice, nice. You know what? That like you talking about <clears throat> playing with different engines. 
I this week realized kind of what I what I don't like about them. And it's it's as soon as you try and do the the thing about using engines is sometimes they can be quite opinionated. Mm. And I felt that very much about Phaser. And not yeah. really about Pixie, because it's kind of less of a engine, more of a scene graph. Um mm. but when when I when I'm using something, I find it this is this is pretty much my way of working, I think. When I'm using something, I like to know everything about what it's doing when I'm using it. And if I don't, I like to be confident in the idea that I'm doing it right anyway. So yeah. I guess and that work so so when that doesn't work is that when there's a big system and it's very opinionated and there's lots of little things and little quirks to it, and you have to kind of know about all of them in order to do the thing that you want to do right and in the right way. Mm. And the, and if you do it in the wrong way, it's going to work out badly for you because it's going to you're going to end up fighting the system that you're using. And yeah. I felt I felt that with Phaser. Um, yep. What I yeah so like and because I need to know something, I feel like I need to know something really well. I can't just I don't like just playing with stuff to figure out how it ticks. I like to read. Like I like quite like yeah I quite like unopinionated systems like three JS or Pixie that are just kind of rendering engines that I can mm. just use. Even yeah. those, I find a little bit of that same thing with them. That, like, if you look at programming outside of games, my usual take on solving a problem is to think for a really long time about the problem domain and then think, how do I model this best? Uh, mm. What are the structures going to look like in an optimal system for this? And then program from the those models, essentially. Mm. And when you try and take that same approach and put it in with any engine that dictates to you how your data will be um, stored at an intermediate level, whether it's as a sprite in a scene graph or whether it's as a full game object, mm. you have to either try and make your models fit their models um, mm. or you have to separate out the systems entirely and have a layer that communicates between them. Um, mm. which I think ultimately for any large projects, that's what you want eventually anyway. You don't want the logic of the game to be strongly coupled to the UI at all. Um, mm. But for most of the games that I end up building, it just ends up feeling dirty because <laughs> this yeah. is the way that I think about my entity and this is the way the engine wants the entity to look. Uh, mm. And not even once the entity look. This is the way the engine requires the entity to look because you're using yeah. its own construct to add it to the world. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I always feel like when I use engines and I separate out my systems from the engine systems that I'm doing it, that I end up with something dirty anyway. Yeah. Because all the all of the components in the in the engine want to talk to each other in a specific way, and I'm kind of taking that away from them and making yep. them talk to me. Instead yeah. of each other, I don't know. I find that with default recently a lot, mm. um, especially and, and default generally. I'm getting a little bit, I don't know. I'm I'm hitting the barrier with it with graphics because even simple stuff like um, masking and using the stencil buffer in OpenGL, um, yeah, it may the way that it the way that it can likes to control sprites, it it yeah. I find it kind of annoying. And I think, so, oh, if I could just do this myself, it would be so much easier. But I want all the other stuff that Default gives me. But yeah. <laughs> so what what does what's uh, what is Default's model? What does it provide you in terms of um, graphics access? Like, if you want to write shaders, what are the constraints around that? 
Um, so if you want to write a shader in default, it depends what you're writing it for, what kind of component. So there's an entity component system in default, right? You have a game object, and then you can attach to that game object like a sprite or a model, maybe, like a, like a which is like a 3D model, but it's a 2D game engine, really. Uh, or you can like attach to a bunch of different things. So if you wanted to... So you have to make like a material, which is like a material file. It's basically just a blob of JSON. Yeah. And then you say... And then you attach shader files to it. Um, but there's a limit to what you can give those shader files, given that the component is a sprite in default. Like, you can't give a shader more than one texture in default. And that really, like... <laughs> <laughs> I've been wanting to do like things where you sample from yeah. both both textures and yeah. or from or just from more than one texture, and it makes it insanely hard to do. Um, so, and the thing, things like you yeah. can't, it won't give you the model space coordinate sort of thing. So what I mean is, um, uh, the when you are when you have a a model in three D world, the left if it's just square, the top left is going to be um, minus one one. Mm -hmm. right and the yeah. top right is going to be yeah and that's in model space right and sometimes you need you need those coordinates and it will it won't give you it it will always give you the those coordinates transformed into world space yeah and you can never really get them back but anyway it doesn't give you a matrix that you can use to just transform between no it doesn't it doesn't give you well so you really you could do this you, you could get the inverse of the world matrix and use that mm. but because open because because default wants to use OpenGL ES, um you you can't get the inverse function because the inverse function in okay. default is only available after OpenGL three. And yeah. OpenGL three is where OpenGL ES is. So I've hit that problem with WebGL, which is also OpenGL ES and is mm. on a version that doesn't have a whole bunch of useful functions. Yeah. Including all the bitwise operators, which has annoyed me oh, multiple God. times. Oh. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is um, getting very technical. Should we? Should we yeah, there's, there's probably is, someone who okay. was set off yeah. hearing puzzle games, and they're like, "Hey, this is the one for me." Yeah. <laughs> like, no, open, oh, I'm God. open GLES two point six, and I can't do bitwise operations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Should we? Uh, should we bring it back to um, puzzles? Because we were going to talk about um, what we've oh, yeah. been playing so recently. Plenty of uh, things. Yeah, so I started playing The Witness after Joe's... Joe's been recommending The Witness for a long time to me, probably since you started playing The Witness. Um, yeah. And I've known that it comes from enough of the same world as Mist and the sequels to Mist that I thought, yeah, I'm going to have to play that at some point. So picked it up this week and have been... I don't know, maybe 15 hours in or something. Um, Oof. Oh, boy. <laughs> having a pretty great time, to be honest. Yeah. Maybe not 15 <laughs> hours, maybe closer to 10. Mm -hmm. I know I was at six somewhere in the middle of the week, so... <laughs> um, yeah. It, cool game. I enjoy yeah. it. I think I, I do like it, but I'm finding it in a way that I'd never found missed frustrating. I do find mm. The Witness a frustrating game to play. Um, it's like <laughs> you've got this beautiful world and everything is serene and there are all these nice puzzles that have sound effects that <laughs> go as you solve them. And then there's me in the middle of it going, oh my God, where the f <laughs> where's, I can't visualise that. <laughs> yeah. I don't um, know... I, th I never played Mist, but I do get the 
the I also feel the witness being frustrating. And I, but because I had I had nothing to compare it to, I don't know whether that's just me and I shouldn't be finding it frustrating, or whether that's the witness and the witness is frustratingly hard. I, I don't know. I think it's um, I, so. What I would point it down to is that the puzzle style is really quite different. The witness, uh, mm-hmm. the witness is much more. Here's the mechanic. Now it's time for you to improve at this. Uh, and mm-hmm. here's a series of tests for you, essentially. Whereas the the mist is much more like, um, you can't go wrong in mist. Essentially, I, oh, I mean okay. that's not fully true, but but most of the time there's not like a you're not solving a a problem again and again and again, trying mm-hmm. it until you get it right. You're collecting yeah. information until you have enough information to solve the puzzle. Oh, I see. Um, so we, in the we say the the what? witness in the witness you solve individual tiles, right? So there's like a tile in all all the puzzles are made up of tiles, and there's a, like a square in front of you, and you have to and there's I mean there's a lot of in information that you gather from the world that you can see around you, and lots of stuff that you can do beyond this. But it's a bit of a spoiler. But essentially, what you're doing is you're you're drawing lines on these tiles over grids to, from a start point to an end point. Um, and different rules around how you're supposed to draw those lines around and through the grid apply as you move through the world. Yeah. There'll be a yeah. summation of the witness. And it's on a beautiful, beautiful island, and there are audio tapes and lots of things feed into how you solve the puzzle. But essentially, that's what you're doing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've always thought about it as like, it's like glorified maze puzzles, and they start mm. off just as find the only path from A to B. And then the further you get on, it's find the only path from A to B that also goes through C. Find the only path from A to B that subdivides all of the white squares from the black squares and so on and so forth. And they just keep throwing in variants. Um, Yeah. uh, But it it has been fun too. Yeah. Um, When when I saw, when I was watching trailers, because I was following the the game sort of up to its release, um, I was watching trailers of it and I was getting a bit worried when I saw what it what you were actually doing in the game, like just solving these little tiles, and I was like, "Oh, is that is that it? Like, is that the extent of the puzzles in in this game?" And it's only when you start playing it that you realize how far they've pushed it, mm, and it's really yeah. impressive. It's like it's really good. Like if you're worried that oh, it's just solving maze puzzles, like it's it's not. <laughs> like <laughs> it is so much more. Um, yeah. I think yeah. I had I had the exact same take on it at some point when I possibly even when you first recommended it to me that mm. I looked at the game and I was like ah these little puzzles and that's the whole game just solving puzzles. <laughs> um, yeah. but it really is a case of they've they've looked at that format and they've gone how many ways can we put a puzzle into a grid of lines yeah and then where else can we take that uh and how can we use the world to impact the solutions as well? Yeah. Uh, I, I love the... I think my favourite area so far has been either the ruins in the desert or the temple. Um, Is the I temple think, the one where the trees are casting shadows on the wood? Uh, there's a temple-like area where that happens. So. There's a, there's the, there are some woods where the branches cast shadows and you have to avoid the shadows. Mm-hmm. The temple is the one with the yellow paintings on the walls and the shutters that you put up and down. Oh, I haven't got that far yet. Oh. <laughs> so oh, I, I, I play this, I think I play this differently from you. I think you're like full on into it all the time. 
Whereas yeah. I, 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 sort, I sort of tend to dip in, in and out of it, which has a negative effect on my ability to do it because I end up like putting it down for like six months and I've just installed it again and I'm starting a new game because I just cannot remember how to do any of it. But because I'm more in tune with how the world works, I'm actually discovering more puzzles this time around than I did mm, beforehand. I cool. like discovered a puzzle that was right at the beginning that I didn't know it was there. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> but it is really hard now, though. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a very cool game. Mm. And I see on the list also, we have written down Steven's Sausage Roll, which... Oh, yes. Had I not known that Steven's Sausage Roll was a game, I would wonder what on earth three words like that were doing <laughs> in this list. Steven's Sausage Roll is nothing shy of a masterpiece. Um, so it's, it's a game... <laughs> Steven's Sausage Roll is a puzzle game where you are going around different islands that, that consist of cubes. Um, I mean, it's all in one, all on one floor, so it's not like you can move on down. You can just move. So they consist of like a grid, right? Different islands consisting of little grids, where you there are sausages also on the island, and you are this a little guy with a fork in front of you, a big fork that's the same size as you, and you have to. What you have to do is roll the sausages on either side, um, with your fork. On this island, on, on grills. So yeah, so on some of the grids are the grills, and then you have to roll the sausages on each side on the grill in order to cook the sausages perfectly. And yeah. if you roll them off the island, they fall in the water and you lose. And you know, if you, if you roll a sausage onto a side that it's already been cooked on, it'll burn and you lose. Um, and it makes for really, really interesting gameplay because because your because the fork is the same size as you. Every time you rotate, like the fork moves. The fork like swings around in front of you and then hits anything that it's that's like next to you. So every decision about every little bit of movement that you make in that game is really important because it have a, like it'll have a massive effect on like how you yeah. solve the rest of the puzzle. And there's like yeah. an undo button. And then my favorite bit about like I think the witness and Steven sausage roll is when you've screwed up, you realize you can't go any further. You go one step back. And then you realise that you that you still screwed. So you go one step back, and then you do that over and over and over again until you're right at the start, and you're thinking, "Oh God, I made the wrong decision from the beginning." <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah, it's it's a very it's a very good game, and it's very quirky because you're just cooking sausages, and the save files are little bottles of mustard, ketchup, and mayonnaise. And that, I mean, you know, what's what's not to not mayonnaise brown sauce? What's not to love? It's it's great. It's 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 like twenty pounds on Steam or something, um, which is actually quite expensive. Uh, actually, no, I'm not sure. It's it's quite a big game and it's worth it. I don't know. The weird thing is, right? It sounds like a flash game, and and then you hear twenty pounds on Steam. Whenever you last mentioned it, and I looked on Steam, I was like, "What twenty quid for a game where I push sausages around?" Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something is disconnected here, and. Maybe I'll have to play it too. It's it's, figure it's a it work out. of art. It's really um, good. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. That's all I can say. It's it's a really good game. Um, it's a really really good puzzle game. And if you want to think about puzzle design um, in games, then I just think it's a really good idea to just have a play with it. Mm. Well, next on the list then of interesting puzzles is a game called Antichamber. Um, I never played this, but I've seen videos of it being played and had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I, that's kind of like the guiding principle of Antichamber, I guess. They, <laughs> right. Antichamber is essentially someone 
who has developed a game and they thought of, they, they basically wanted to ignore all of the usual limitations for games, for puzzle games, in terms of how engines think about the world. Um, and it's it's kind of like playing a game inside an optical illusion. Um, right. Y- you have those um, MC Escher staircases, for instance, where you mm-hmm. go up a set of stairs and then you go around the next set of stairs and then you're back up where you started going up the stairs. Um, and like, I, I don't know how you program that kind of stuff. Like, well, it's just... I can think about how you program it. This brings back to the brings me back to the engine point, right? I, I, I can imagine how one would program that. I can't imagine how one would program that in Unity. Yeah. Right, or like, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like in, in, a, in an engine that constrains you physically to, yeah. to, to like... Not laws of physics that make sense, but in a, a certain version of laws of physics that are sort of tangible that you could fit in your head, you've already it's the engine has already limited you to that. So mm. you, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm lying. Maybe you can make. You, there's probably a way to make something complex like antechamber in Unity, but I can imagine that you'd have to bend certain rules pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think if you're going to do it, you'd have to have so many things in, like a constraint that the player couldn't see anything other than the little set piece they were in and then you could safely move that up and down whilst they were moving so that they did come out at the original like y coordinate that they started at even though they'd yeah. been moving up in the y coordinates like interesting but anyway the whole game is is stuff like that basically just put in to baffle your brain um <laughs> uh, and there's all kinds of optical illusions that are fully built into the puzzle and I noticed there's there's some similarities with Witness, to be honest, with looking through. I don't know if you've done the greenhouse level in the Witness. Um, uh, yeah, but um, you, there, it's like it's like in it's like in a mountain almost. Yeah, it's kind of like a and lab you, setting. Yeah. You can see the puzzle when you're looking at it through the glass, and then you look at it outside. And I don't want to give the spoilers, but yeah, there's, there are those kind of things in Antichamber as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I have very nearly finished Antichamber, but I, there's like one or two puzzles in it that I just couldn't do, and yeah. that was. And then I uninstalled it at some point and haven't <laughs> haven't gone back. Um, yeah, but that's a fun game. You also we also have Dark Souls with a question mark here. I'm kind of intrigued how that where that fits into the list. Well, I was thinking about puzzle games, and I thought that Dark Souls was an interesting one because you could say that Dark Souls is kind of a puzzle game, right? Because what you're doing is instead of your... What you're you're doing is you're you're working out the patterns of attack of your enemy Mm. so you can figure out how to beat them. And it has has elements of Twitch skill in there, which is what separates Dark Souls out from all the rest of these things. Maybe not... Maybe Portal has Twitch, like, mechanics in there as well, right? Because you have to do things quickly. But Dark Souls more so. Mm. Um, But I, I think I thought it was... You wouldn't immediately think of it as a puzzle game, but uh, that's kind of how I've always thought of it. At least Dark Souls 1, definitely. Um, yeah. I've always thought of it as like a puzzle game because you are essentially figuring out how to beat enemies. And once you've figured out how to beat an enemy, they aren't going to come at you in any other way. And, you, yeah. you, and you're, you're basically just solving the monsters in the game. Yep. Um, but the way that you solve it isn't by standing there and looking at them. It's by like dying repeatedly <laughs> over and over again until you figure out what it is they do and how they tick. So I, that's why I added Dark Souls in there. 
No, I like I like the justification. I've I've definitely I've heard people call Dark Souls a rhythm game before, and I think yeah. that like that is that cross section of rhythm game and puzzle game that like <laughs> it is completely about timing. Dark Souls, like mm. if if you haven't got good timing, you will not beat a Dark Souls game. But if you have good timing, then you'll beat it with a Guitar Hero controller. It's like <laughs> if you learn the patterns, all there is left to do is get the timings down. And you'll mm-hmm. be and you'll be fine. Um, but but uh, it's interesting because there there are some bosses in Dark Souls that are, I guess, in that sense, puzzle bosses where you've got yeah. one one aspect of them to figure out, which trivializes the fight. Um, yeah, but they're usually referred to as gimmick bosses in the community. So, oh, right. oh I see. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe my take on it's wrong. Maybe I just couldn't get past the gimmick bosses. And it's just anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I, I'd say Dark Souls two and three are definitely the same. Like you learn you learn the patterns and then you apply that learning and then you beat the game. Um mm. uh, What's there's another game in this list that you've written down, it's called Baba is You. Oh what, you have what, what is that? Baba is I, you. No. <laughs> Baba, so I'm pretty sure Baba is, is You was a Pico 8 game originally. Uh, the oh, little okay. fantasy console emulator type thing. Um, but so that's the Bab- Pico 8 is a fantasy console that's like ridiculously uh, constrained. You only have a certain, you only have a very limited amount of memory, a very limited screen resolution, and the idea is it's almost like a challenge to program for it. Yeah, it's not. It's not a million miles away from. Um, Puzzle script, but oh, okay. But you're actually like writing Lua rather than a domain-specific language. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that sense, that you've got the, all the tools you need to quickly make sprites and render them on screen from this tiny amount of code, mm-hmm. uh, and you you write all your code in the emulator itself as well um, mm-hmm. uh, in the program. Um, but Barbara's You is a game that someone made with Pico, which is, again, like sort of Sokoban-esque where you push blocks around, except the blocks have words on them. Right. And the order that the blocks end up in, if they spell a sentence, then that sentence is the game rule. So you might, you might go into a, into a level and it might say, um, win is wall. Uh, and then if you touch the wall, then you win. But <laughs> if those three blocks were like jumbled around the level, it would be your job to push them together so that they made the sentence win is wall. Uh, or if there was <laughs> uh, wall is... Uh, <laughs> there's like all kinds of weird things you can do. I'm pretty sure you can do like wall is you and you'll turn into a wall. <laughs> Um, and then, and then you're stuck or, or, um, I don't know, like I haven't played the game. I've watched videos of it and had it recommended, but it's that whole idea of like meta programming the game rules by playing the game. Uh, huh. There was another game, um, that did that a lot more sort of high fidelity. It was made by the same people who made Bioshock games. Like mm. sort of subsets of that company. What what was that company called? I can't remember. Anyway, sure. um, yeah. So it's a game called um, I think I believe it's called Mirror. Although I might be completely wrong. And you go around um, basically changing the rules of the game by making 
by make by by sort of changing how little bits of AI work in the game. Um, I never played it for more than a minute, so I couldn't be able to tell. I played a demo of it at a conference. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it very much follows that rule of like you're basically in the game meta programming so that you can win. That's cool. But, yeah, interesting. That. Yeah. It'd be cool to see that kind of thing. I think that with those things that like the game has to be based around that. Like it's too it's too game breaking to try and put anything else in there as a primary oh, objective. Yeah, um, that has to be the game. Like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um you have to yeah. There's so there'll be so much effort put into making those things all the things that you put in there work together in the first place that yeah. if that wasn't the point then there wouldn't be a point. <laughs> well, I think that is our list of puzzle games. Um, <laughs> I wonder if we missed any, like, classics. Portal. Oh, I, yeah. I, don't think we just, I, I think Portal's a bit done. I don't know. Yeah, everyone has, has played Portal. Yeah. The only thing I have to add to that, actually, is that playing The Witness gave yeah. me more of the feeling of playing Portal than it did of playing Myst. It's more like... It's less of incremental progress again, and it's more of like you're looking at everything, and then when you figure it out, it all goes at once. Um, okay. That, like portal, you're in the room and you're looking around, like how do I put portals in here to move out? And you spend ages shooting portals into different places and seeing what happens. Mm-hmm. And similar with witness, you look at the puzzle and you're like, huh, I wonder how I do this. And then you spend ten minutes drawing lines. And going, no, that's not going to quite work. Let's, uh, and then eventually it all goes at once, and you carry on, and, it, yeah. and you get like a aha. There we go. Uh-huh. So that's why it's frustrating, I guess, because there's no, there's no sense. If you're stuck, you are stuck. Yeah. Until you solve that puzzle, there's no like incremental progress. You either get the puzzle or you don't get the puzzle, and you just have to keep on thinking about it until it clicks. Yeah. Whether it takes like a minute or days <laughs> and there's one puzzle in that game that i that i spent days coming back to and coming back to and trying to do and i just could not figure it out um, <laughs> and that's how I, and i understood it <laughs> and then i installed it one, once again and got and did the island in a different way and didn't meet it and then i installed it uninstalled it again because i just like was playing something else and then i've installed it the third time now and i'm sure i will take a completely different route but yeah well Best of luck. <laughs> Thanks. I've been doing a lot of um, graphics graphics work this week with like OpenGL. I think I mentioned this at the beginning at the beginning of the podcast, but I'm having a very good time exploring how that how that API works. And from something that looks very scary when you look at it the first time, you're like, "What the hell does this mean?" Because I like, when, I guess when you first look at that. You don't know what you don't know what three D how how really three D programming works. At least that's sort of what I when I came to it, um, and I from sort of going through documentation and like tutorials, finally understanding part like multiple parts of it. And I'm try, I'm starting to build like this picture of how it works, and it's a very satisfying feeling having mm. having that picture because it allows me to think about how I do certain things and. I think I said in the first episode of this podcast, like if I sat down in a low level language and tried to make a game like in, in C++ with OpenGL, I may, I wouldn't really know where to start. Um, and I think 
because I have a better idea of how that API works, I would have a much better idea about how to do that by myself in like yeah. a quite low level language. And yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying that feeling. I might, I might, and I might like explore that a little bit. I might try to make something like that actually that like it is isn't a very very simple game um, with OpenGL like something like C plus plus just to sort of explore how much I've learned. But yeah, that's it's a it's a very uh, yeah. I mean, I'm enjoying that at the moment. Sounds cool. Sounds cool. I like I like using WebGL when I get the opportunity, but that's been one that it took multiple attempts of learning WebGL before I got to the first time where I was like, okie dokie. My, yeah. my like OpenGL background was not at all strong before I came to WebGL, which didn't help at all. Um, yeah. Because it's like, there's a, you've got a double learning curve of an awkward way to speak to WebGL from a programming language that is about as high level as you get. Um, and as dynamic as you get speaking to a language that is about as low level and about as static as you get as GSL GLSL Um, but when I get the opportunity I do enjoy doing stuff with WebGL in the browser Um, yeah it feels very powerful especially in the browser when you don't have to worry about much boilerplate of like setting up a screen or something like that because it's pretty much all done for you yeah. And all you have to yeah, worry yeah. about is like just initializing OpenGL. Um yeah. Yeah, it's nice as well with <clears throat> with um WebGL stuff just to like if you want a button in your whatever you're rendering <laughs> to just ha- use the same matrices that you're using to transform stuff into the scene for um for WebGL. Just apply the same matrix to the coordinates that you have for your button, and then just put a HTML button on screen over it. Uh, All right. And style it with CSS, cool. uh, and then that just circumvents a whole headache that I always have if I try and do text rendering inside mm-hmm. WebGL because it's always a pain. Do you render to a texture ahead of time, the text mm-hmm. you want on a canvas, and then use WebGL to render that canvas into the world, or do you try and? Um, triangulate a font so you've got every single character's vertices as triangles uh which yeah i've never had time for that before i just know it's feasible <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> all of that sounds pretty painful <laughs> yeah yeah if you want to render yeah rendering rendering text can be a headache because yeah, yeah, re- yeah i guess rendering it to a texture first and then rendering it to the screen that's that's how i that's how i think about it that's how I would think about doing it. But then you'd have to have like, you have to set up your own like fonts. Yeah. And then yeah, figure yeah. out how you're going to load them in. I'm a pretty, anyway. Yeah. Very awkward. <laughs> I, um, I digress. Um, <laughs> uh, and otherwise it's been slow week here. Nice weather. Yep. Same. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Cool. So, um, <laughs> how do you wrap up? The, the the mistake is always the so. The so. <laughs> you just say so and there's a pause. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, we'll <laughs> see you next week. Yeah. Uh, bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>